1: This episode may contain explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, December 4th, the Around the World edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show. And I'm dad to Noah, who is six, and Ami, who's three. We live in Detroit.
0: I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parents
2: in column, and mom to Naima, who is 10, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's 9, and Teddy, who's 6. We live in Tokyo, Japan.
1: On today's show, we're bringing you a conversation Elizabeth had with Alana Best, author of Around the World in Black and White, Traveling as a Biracial Blended Family. Alana has amazing practical tips for traveling all over the world with little ones. And she also has some big picture ideas about what it means to be a blended, mixed race family. There's something for everyone in this conversation, so you won't want to miss it. Afterwards, all three of us will be back to do a round of
3: recommendations.
1: See you back here in a minute. All right, we're back. Elizabeth, can you tell us what we're going to hear right now?
2: Yeah, so this was like sitting down with a friend. Alana wrote this lovely book about traveling with her biracial family around the world. The interview and the book really covers everything from these practical travel tips to dealing with the unexpected on her trip. She has all kinds of things happen, good, bad. All of that, too, happens with kind of her realization that every member of her family is having a different experience and approaching the trip differently due to the color of their skin. And this is something that they have to deal with. And the lovely part is that Alana really is kind of reckoning with feeling like this is something that she understood and realizing into the trip that it was something she didn't understand. Um, It's just a really great book. It's lovely it's candid and i mean i don't know that you can walk away from this without feeling like you should do some travel planning yourself so i hope you enjoy our conversation
4: hi i'm alana best author of around the world and black and white traveling with a biracial blended family uh, we traveled the world for a year with a then five week old baby and 10 year old daughter and now we are a budding big family of a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and a 16-year-old.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm so excited um, that you're here because, as our listeners know, I love traveling. I love traveling with kids. And so much of your book um, just rang true, made me feel uh, seen. But you also have just these like amazing other experiences that you synthesize so well kind of at the end about seeing the world and understanding the world. And, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. But let's start with telling us about your decision to embark on a year-long travel with a newborn son and then your um, 10-year-old daughter. Like, what inspired you to do this? Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> like tell us how you ended up ended up <laughs> deciding this is a good idea. Yeah. So
4: first of all, so I should mention we're in Canada. So my partner and our family live in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. We had this lovely uh, parental leave, of which it can be a year to a year and a half, depending on what you prefer. And um, you get paid fairly well through that. And our employer at the time also topped it up. On top of that, we also uh, did what was called a deferred salary leave program. We put a percentage of your salary away. You can take a period of time off, and then you have to guarantee your job when you get back. So when my husband and I moved in together, we started this thinking like, okay, we're splitting the bills 50-50. That's awesome. We can take off 20% of our salary. We're still on the up. And um, that gave us also something to dream about and think about and, you know, all of that fun things for four years before we decided to embark on this journey. But we were also getting a bit older and we wanted to have kids. And we we really thought about, do we take this year and go and travel and then come back and try and have a family do we just try and have the family and take all the money, forget about the travel, put it into, you know, RESPs and all the practical yeah. things? Um, or do we just try and do our best to do it all? And um, I guess, you know, my motto is kind of more is more and, and go do it and and live and, you know, everything you've got. So we just decided to give it a go.
2: I, I mean, you're speaking to my heart. That is definitely uh, where we are as well. What were your initial expectations? Like when you are first planning the trip, what are you thinking this is going to look like?
4: So I thought at first when the baby was a bucket baby, we could travel a little quicker, but we've also thought we can only handle one activity a day. Okay. So we only planned one major event a day, thinking that would also leave us a lot of downtime. We also knew that we would probably maximize daytime activities and there would be very little evening activities. But then we did discover that you can find babysitters on beautiful apps (laughs) throughout the world as we traveled. So we did end up doing more than we thought we could. And, um, And we found out that we actually could do a lot of travel frequently over a long period of time. And babies are the most adaptable things and so are children. So I was really impressed with the amount that we were able to do. Um, although I would say five weeks old is, is maybe a little early. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're um in your book, you are I think so transparent with the reader about kind of your where you are mentally throughout this trip. And something that really resonated with me is this panic that happens towards the end about the passports because I have <laughs> been there so essentially you miss you misplace the passports you you put them somewhere um like in a drawer and then can't find them but this sort of follows you then throughout like the next what couple days right you're trying to get the passports and and there's lots of other situations going around do you in those moments though you seemed both panicked but able to move on and do some things while the while the resolution <laughs> is happening which is something i think a lot of us strive like i i felt like it would paralyze me like if i could i sometimes can't get over something like that do you have advice cuz those moments happen right they happen whether you're traveling or not how are you able to sort of it, it seems like you almost were able to say like okay we're doing what we can about this but i'm still going to go have a good time are you is do you have some advice for good self talk are you
4: <laughs> yeah i think that, uh, there's part of it that's compartmentalization and part of it is you know what can you control and what can you not control so i think there were moments um where we and we, we couldn't find these passports my partner desperately needed to get back to canada because of an unwell parent which added to yeah. you know the anxiety and um but they were you know they were in someone else's hands we had finally found them there was and there's these moments throughout where it's like I can't find them but there's nothing else we can do everybody needs to sleep like yeah. staying up and panicking about it for another three hours is then going to lead to worse consequences and so you just everybody goes going to And then there's nothing we can, okay, we found them or there's nothing more we can do. We're waiting for emails back. Okay, all we can do is go and enjoy the day or sit here and be miserable. Like, what are the options? Yeah. And so I think for me, it's just about stopping and and being like, if I continue to spiral, there's actually no outcome. Yeah. There's nothing I can change or do. So there's choices and how we react and what we can manage and do. And for me, I I just sort of take it and push it aside and say, at this time, I will go out and revisit and relook and see what we can do. But until then, it's not going to serve us well at all, and we're only in Paris once. So
2: <laughs> here we go. <laughs> we all need that mentality. We're only here once. Let's just uh, do this. I I do want to delve in because your book really explores your family's experience as as a biracial blended family, and you talk about what it taught you about. Your own identity. Can you talk about that?
4: Yeah. So I identify as white, um, and my husband is black. And then we have a white daughter who was the 10 year old at the time of the book uh, from my previous marriage. And then there is a biracial child as well. So we've got quite a (laughs) modern family going on. (laughs) And, And what i i knew you know about white privilege like in concept i understood yeah. what it was i believed it to be true i could see it in theory i understood it um i did not understand like when i was exposed to 24 hours a day traveling with a person of color and being in a wide variety of circumstances and seeing the exposure of that over and over and over And every time we walked into a restaurant, every time we had to go through security, every time, you know, he got trailed by a security guard in a grocery store, or um, just how people looked at us, treated us, the the assumptions that were made. And there were some very overt racism, things that had happened. But there was also a lot of mic things. And, and sometimes it was just how much better I got treated, and not necessarily that he got treated poorly. So it was an accumulation of many different events that were large and small that I really realized that I walk in this world in a very different space than he does. And how we're able to travel, the things we're able to do and feel safe and good and welcomed are completely different.
2: Were you having conversations with him during the travel ab- about these things, like, is that an, a topic that was open from the beginning? Did it become more open as you traveled?
4: Yeah, so it did become more open as we traveled. So we had been together for three years prior. But you sort of live your own lives. Like, you come together in the evening, you sort of have these mutual friends, you go to work, you know, maybe there's, like, one comment that somebody says something, well, it's not in a year or whatever. But it's not. it's not like this. It's mm-hmm. not like being exposed like this for a year. And I think part of the issue was that Roland, my partner, who's black, was walking in the world in one way and assumed that to be sort of normal. Right. And he and how he expects to be treated and expects people to react to him and the things that he knows and he thought I knew what that looked like and what right. that was. And then I was walking in a parallel universe of which I get treated a certain way and I wouldn't I wouldn't know why anybody would treat him any differently. So as these things started coming up, I was like, what's going on here? How come this is happening? We would start to have these conversations of he thought I knew and I had no clue. <laughs> and so we started really diving into like, you know, past things that had happened to him, how he's lived his life, what his parents have taught him, how mm-hmm. they've taught him to act, react, think about um, the color of his skin and and how he should be in the world and to avoid negative consequences to make sure that he never gives people a reason Mm -hmm. um, to have a negative outcome um, about how hard he has to work to achieve certain things. So all of these things, I I think some of it I knew in theory, but I I felt like I really experienced it in a different way. It's different when
2: you get, when you experience even a a slight piece of it right like just to um there's a part of your book where I can't remember where you are but you talk about how all of a sudden you are the one standing out uh and and being so clearly not part of the culture and not part of it and I um that resonated with me we've just moved to Tokyo and so a a small bit of that of and I think a lot now about how like this is just a small right like this is so small um, but how much it changes, like who you are and and you know, how you experience things?
4: Definitely. I remember one time, it's not in the book because it was in a different trip, but yeah. um my daughter was ten and Roland and I went to Kenya. and we were sitting in a resort, and she there's these, you know, kids clubs. Yeah, and she was so excited to go to this kids club. She wanted to go in and do all these arts and crafts. and she stopped at the door when she got there. I was like, no, I'm not going in. I was like, what's wrong? You were so excited about it. Let's go and and talk to them. Let's do this. And he was like, no, I'm going to be the only white person there. And I was like, okay, we need to have a conversation about that. So we did. And I kind of explained about how um, Roland is, you know, typically in Canada, one of the few or the only black person in a room in the boardroom, et cetera. Um, And that, you know, she should go and give it a try. And see that you know we're all people, and or, you know they're there to have fun with her. So she did end up going. She had an amazing time, but it really did teach her about um, empathy, being a minority in a situation. And um, I feel as you know, white North Americans, we we should all have to go through that a little bit and experience some of it because it will I think change your perspective on how you treat other other people that are the minority in your situation.
2: I want to talk a little about about your kids kind of understanding of cultural diversity. Did did you see especially with your older one? Did you see a shift in that through the travel? Like it is did her mindset change? Did her understanding of kind of the the world change?
4: I think um Josephine has a lot of exposure to many different things. So when Roland came into her life, she was 4 or 5 years old. And at first, when she, you know, were there on the playground, she would say, oh, my dad's coming to pick me up. Like, she didn't differentiate that it was my stepdad or my bonus dad or whatever. And then people's reactions to her made her so uncomfortable that she started feeling the need to have this full narrative Mm. about what her family dynamic was beforehand. And that, you know, was complicated and hard. And then that kind of continued on in the travel. So every time we would end up in a security line, they look at the white daughter, they may may not be able to see the biracial child who's like right. quite young and like a little baby and us and they assume we're not together. They assume we're not a family. And then when we do go up, there's a lot of questions about what's going on. Whereas in a lot of blended families, if you're from a similar cultural background, it, it's just not an issue. You right. don't have to kind of go through. So it's this constant explaining about your 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 family, your dynamics, your togetherness. Um, So I think that has really stuck with her for a long time and just how she needs to do that and how um, it can be quite taxing. I also think that because she's been to Africa with us a few times, sees how differently um, she is. Like because the time you were talking about, we were in South Africa where Josephine and I were the only white people. We're in this tattoo parlor. We had to run to go use the washroom. Where you know there's lots of people looking at us and staring at us, wondering what earth we are doing there, and um and and she's like you know kind of looks at me like, are we okay? Are we safe? And I'm like, I'm not sure. I just can feel the I can feel the eyes, yeah. right? And um and we were okay. So it's for me, it's always this like trying to teach her, but also trying to make sure that she doesn't feel afraid just because she looks different yeah. people that she's being surrounded with in, in that room. So I feel like there's a lot of conversations that happen with her that um and that are, have matured her and um, understanding sort of what it's like to be in a, a blended biracial family more than, you know, a lot of her friends.
2: Yeah, your book looks at that, like separating the uncomfortable from afraid. And then kind of taking a minute to say like well why do i feel uncomfortable <laughs> right like like i need to yeah. unpack why this makes me feel uncomfortable and and learn about that did you have a like um a memorable cultural experience from one of the places that you were visiting
4: i have a yes i have a million <laughs> um <laughs> try and think of my, like favorite one so i think one of uh, my favorite moments like in terms of uh, cultural culinary bliss was in uh, China so we were in Beijing and we decided to stay in um, this hotel in the um, Hutong district which is it's a very old district so what you walk into there's a bunch of very thin small back alleys that are extremely windy and we were there in January so there wasn't very many tourists around And we basically got lost all the time trying to figure out our way home or our way around. And um, I would say that it is very authentic. There's lots of people that um, are living there. There's shared bathroom situations. It's really cold. There's like mattresses, long walls, et cetera, et cetera. And so we found just getting lost in those such a, a beautiful moment because it wasn't clean, it wasn't pristine, it wasn't beautiful. But there, but it was beautiful because it was so ancient. It was like this yeah. old way of living in this old world in this place. And our um, hotel manager used to be a chef in Montreal. Had given us some advice for a couple of restaurants to go to around. So you would get lost in these alleys, and then you know, and we're trying to follow this map that he's shown us to get into this um, restaurant. And I'm like, I think we go down this back alley. And then I think we go down this other back alley. And and somehow we end up in, on some door that looks like the back door where, you know, people bring out the trash and you walk in and it opens up to the most gorgeous courtyard I've ever seen. And, you know, we get served this, you know, we're all, we're all sitting there trying to, you know, Google translate our way through the menus and, and figure things out. But it was like, by far one of the best meals i have ever had so for me it was like not not assuming that what's going on on the outside is what's going on on the inside and that they've really used this sort of ancient beautiful like way of um organizing their city and transformed it and just adopted it and accepted it and that you can find like sort of these beautiful hidden gems if you um yeah, if you kind of can do that, take away, like, and not worry about the outside aesthetic and just enjoy the inside.
2: Yeah. Um, have you changed as a parent from the trip?
4: Oh, yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> well, lot. Um, I think, you know, I don't honestly think I understood how I would ever um, raise. You know black children yeah. w- without going through this experience so i think that's a big part of it was i needed to really dig deep and figure out what i'm teaching my kids the types of conversations i'm having the- with the girls versus the boys some of them will be similar but different mm-hmm. and with the white child versus you know the the black children and that is something that will stick with me forever and then and now i think making much more of a conscious effort learn. And my oldest has now um, come up to be part of the LGBTQ2S plus community. And so I feel like for me, it's this um, real being open is so important to understanding who they are as individuals, Mm. understanding what they are and then how they're going to move through this world, how the world is going to treat them based on those uh, identities that are visible and not visible that they choose to, to be or not choose. So that, is, was a huge piece that I felt I would need to continuously learn to be the best parent
2: possible. Yeah.
4: And I also felt, um, in some ways, I, I hoped that the travel, especially for the 10 year old, would give them a bigger sense of the world. And, you know, to not be caught up as a teenage girl in their tiny microcosm of a high school. Yeah. And to remember that the world is their oyster. And that you can kind of go out and and live life, and it doesn't need to be bordered by you know your current existence in your in your town or your city in your high school. And I think that part was successful. I do feel like she has a when she learns about all the different places, like we've been to Oshawa, so we've been to many different yeah. places. So when she learns about it in school, she's a different understanding of it. And I think so. Her learning through that has um, been exponential but also i think that it's expanded her mind to what uh, the possibilities are and what her world should be so i would say that is the biggest gift a parent can give their kids
2: yeah i mean i that that's one of the reasons we've always tried to take these jobs that are in different places or moving but i always want to mention too that if you can't get across the world i find that you can have a lot of these broadening experiences by exploring your own Town and finding areas, communities, things that you wouldn't normally go to, right like um you got to travel the world to see some of these, but I, I think for a lot of us some of that exists in our own neighborhoods and and communities uh, just putting ourselves out there and doing trying new things and be it like new foods or new activities, right just just kind of immersing yourself in something else um. Can be helpful definitely
4: there's great documentaries out there there's wonderful yeah. books out there there's a lot of access you know that is very close by and it, it is worth you know just going and giving it a try
2: yeah reading. i mean and reading your book is is one of those right like you can armchair travel by reading about your experiences and you do such a nice job of putting like as i'm reading i can see myself there <laughs> with my children doing those those things and I think that's so nice like to bring some of your lessons like to other people's hearts you know what do you hope that our listeners can gain from your book
4: so i traveled the world with my family not to write a book yeah. i traveled um to travel <laughs> because i love it because i wanted to expose my kids to it because i thought it would be such a lovely like love story bonding moment with my family to get all those memories with them and, um, I wrote this book because so many things happened throughout our journey that I felt would be beneficial to share. And I wrote it specifically with um white people in mind and interracial couples in mind because I think white people need to speak to other white people about race and white privilege and our understanding of, of that. Mm-hmm. And I was—I tried to be very, very vulnerable in the book and explain sort of my naivety and mm-hmm. where I was at and what my thinking was, in hopes that other people will relate to that and not be scared to also say, "Oh, I thought this, I thought that. How come it's like this? Why is it like that?" So that we can start to build and have some of these conversations. And I think there's, you know, the beginning of a lot of conversations in this book of what you relate to and your thinking with me. What maybe you would have done differently if you were me? what maybe you would have done the same, yeah. And you know how I thought about it and kind of worked my way through it. So my you know deep hope is that people read this book and see some of themselves in it um and then start to have conversations with themselves and with others about what they heard in it.
1: Again, that was Alana Best, author of Around the World in Black and White, Traveling as a Biracial Blended Family. We're going to take another quick break and see you back here in a minute.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Let's move on to recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you got this week?
2: So this is actually, Zach, you had recommended a while back the Keep Going travel kits. And uh, when we got here with the kids being kind of on their own, I... um got one of their small travel kits they're like the perfect size to fit in their book bags and they have been the biggest hit like these are the um, first
1: aid kits like the, yeah, they're the first aid, first aid kits, They keep kit. going uh-huh.
2: small travel kits. Um, I know you had recommended like the bit you were with a friend and they had the big mm-hmm, kit that mm-hmm. had everything. This yep. small travel kit has everything the kids like need. In fact, it came up in parent-teacher conferences that Oliver is like always ready for a disaster. But seriously, it's been really nice because they are coming home on their own and... As with all children, we've had cuts and scrapes, their friends have had them, and this kit just has like the perfect um amount of stuff. It's hard for us to lose cuz it's brightly colored. They got to pick out a pattern. Um so I was just thinking in the the holiday spirit, this is like the perfect little it feels fancy and fun but is incredibly helpful and it is I can't tell you it's like the perfect little size. It's soft-sided. Um it i i have another like kit but it's in a metal tin which sets off those new metal detectors that mm-hmm. just look for metal like you have to pull it out this one you don't have to do that um i've just been really impressed with it so it was worth a a second mention so thanks zach for mentioning that oh, yeah. We're just loving the little the little travel kit
1: they're so cute i love the design on those on those sacks super cool jamila what are you recommending
0: I'm recommending sweet potato honey bun cake. Uh, it's a recipe that went viral on TikTok, and I stumbled across it last week, and I thought this looks really good. And Naima was so opposed to it. She was like, that sounds gross. And then she found out there was sour cream in it, and she was like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. <laughs> and she absolutely loved it. It's so good. I cut the glaze in half just because the cake is really sweet. Um But it's really delicious. It's easy to make. You use boxed cake mix and you add a few things, including mashed sweet potato. And it is awesome. This
1: looks so good. Yeah. So it's basically yellow cake mix plus cinnamon, sweet potato, brown sugar, nutmeg, pecans and sour cream. Yum. Did you use the, the, the optional orange food coloring?
0: I didn't. I don't really like food coloring. What's that even for?
1: What is that just to make it look right. more orangey? Just to make it orange? To get
0: that I guess. honey I feeling? I guess maybe it's to make it look more like sweet potatoes. Um, but I don't. So I don't like it. food coloring. Yeah,
1: that looks tasty. I didn't
0: use the pecans either. It sounds
1: like a good breakfast too. I am going to recommend a show that just finished up a ten episode run on PBS Kids. It's called Mega Wow. Have either of your kids watched this? No. Yes. Yes and no. Um, It's hosted by this really charming, funny comedian. I I think she's from Seattle or Portland. Um, Katie Wynn, N-G-U-Y-E-N. It just popped up on the app and and Noah was watching it. It's so great. They're like seven to 10 minute episodes and it feels like very DIY. It's almost as if like, this Katie person. I know she can't possibly be doing it all on her own, but it kind of looks like that. Um, and each episode is like very different. Um, one of them is about like how you make your own movie sound effects. One of them is about how to make instruments out of vegetables. One of them's how to make slug slime. One of them investigates what's inside owl pellets Another one's all about bouncy balls. It's so charming and funny and like cheesy in a kind of uh, um, really clever, funny way. So it's going to work on your kids. It'll work on you. Um, it's really cool. And I saw that she announced on, on social media that like the 10th episode was the final. So I don't know why that is. I think they should keep making the show. So if, if you're listening, PBS programmers, keep Mega Wow coming. It's a, a very refreshing entry to the PBS kids world.
0: Nice.
2: this sounds like something we would very much enjoy
1: <laughs> I yes
2: go, I need to go check it, it out
1: yeah and it'll give you ideas too of uh, DIY projects for the house <laughs> and that's our show please subscribe, leave a rating and review and tell your friends this episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Slate Audio for Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp. I'm Zach Rosen thanks for listening